the fact that we had never done a virtual event actually worked out to our advantage. And the reason why is we didn't really have any, oh, this is how it's always been done. Therefore, you need to do it this way. You're listening to the Content 10X Podcast, where it's all about content repurposing. I'm Amy Woods, and I'm here to help you maximize your content and find smart ways to get your message in front of more of the right people, whilst also saving time. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Content 10X Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, and this week is about the repurposing opportunities of virtual events. Now, virtual events existed before the pandemic, but during 2020 and 2021, we obviously saw a huge rise in them for obvious reasons and to massively varying quality standards as well. Now, what I love about virtual events is you won't be surprised to hear me say this, but they are a content repurposing dream, especially if the quality level is high and the repurposing is planned in advance. So something that we do at Content 10X is we work with businesses that are serious about virtual events and we repurpose them. Now this week's episode is an interview episode. I speak to a wonderful client of ours, Mark Huber. So Mark is the head of brand and product marketing at Metadata. Mark is an expert in helping B2B marketers automate paid campaigns. He is the co-host of Metadata's weekly podcast, Demand Gen U, where he shares his decade of demand generation experience, teaching marketers frameworks that they can implement today. We're very proud to work with Mark and his team on this podcast as their repurposing partner. But as I mentioned, this episode is about repurposing virtual events. Mark was responsible for Metadata's first ever event called Demand in October 2021. The event aimed to help marketers get closer to revenue. As well as organising the event with his fantastic team, Mark hosted some of the video panel talks included in the event and he was also there facilitating insightful conversations between leading demand gen marketers. We're going to dive deep into all of this in today's conversation. Let's jump in. Mark, welcome to the Content 10X podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. So before we jump into the wonderful world of events, repurposing and finding out all about the demand event, um, could you tell us a bit about your role at Metadata and and obviously just a little bit about what Metadata does as well? Yep. So I started at Metadata about coming up on two years ago uh, this year, and I was a director of growth. That title meant nothing to me. It was really the number two marketer, and I had to have my hands in basically everything. And I think as we've grown our marketing team, uh, and my role has changed recently to the head of brand and product marketing, so everything about uh, building a brand that people know, like, and trust. And then as far as what metadata is, if you uh, have been sleeping under a B2B rock lately, uh, we help B2B marketers automate their paid campaigns and then free them up so they can focus on the important things like strategy and creative. Cool. And where were you before metadata? Yeah. So I was actually at a company called Fast Radius and it was a industrial grade um, 3D printing company. And I was fully expecting that to be a, you know, a three, four year stop. And ironically enough, I bought metadata as a first time customer about three, three and a half months into my time at Fast Radius. 
And the more that I used it, I was like, whoa, what is this thing? How do more people not know about this tool? And then Jason Woodup, my now boss, was announcing that they were hiring for a second marketer. So uh, funny enough, he did not actually uh, want to hire me at first. He thought he had a better option and he'll be the first person to tell you that it all worked out the way that it should. <laughs> Brilliant. Exactly. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> so we actually met because you were looking for help with um, kind of maximizing and repurposing the demand event. So um, yep. could you tell us firstly a bit about that project? So was it the first time that you had ran that kind of large scale virtual event? Yep. So the event was on October 22nd. So thankfully we timed this enough so that enough time has passed so that I'm really <laughs> willing and ready to talk about this again. But yes, it was our, our first ever virtual event. We got a late start on it and we started working on it in, I think, mid to late July. And we announced it in mid-August. So we were very much under the gun. Uh, we wanted to put on an event that was really community driven as opposed to being a, you know, a metadata conference masked as a community event, which I think really speaks to why we were so focused on the audience and the content and making sure that they took a whole lot away from this. And I think the other big thing that we wanted to do was just punch above our weight class. We're a series A startup. Many of our competitors have much more funding than us. But I think if you look at the event that we put on uh, this past October and some of the events that they put on, we may have set the bar a little too high in year one because I'm trying to figure out how we're going to go bigger in year two. It's a good problem to have, I guess, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> so, so what do you think? Now you've already touched on it, but what, what mm -hmm. in your eyes did you see as the kind of facets of a great virtual event that you really did want to bring to to this? Mm -hmm. So, I say this now. I wouldn't have said this when we were first announcing that we were doing this event. The fact that we had never done a virtual event actually worked out to our advantage. And the reason why is we didn't really have any, oh, this is how it's always been done. Therefore, you need to do it this way. So we kind of reimagined what would be a virtual event that we ourselves would want to attend and use that as the bar throughout the entire build up to announcing the event, the entire build up to the day of the event, and then even what we did afterwards. So we really looked at it from the attendee experience. What are the topics that they are interested in? What formats would they want? What are the speakers that are either established names or up and coming names that would really be good to have on panels or discussions? So it was a, a content driven agenda for the event itself. And then we figured out which speakers we thought would be the best fit. I think where most B2B marketers uh, fall when coming up with a, you know, a virtual event is they start with the list of speakers first. And if you look at B2B events, everyone uses the same list of speakers and it feels very recycled and it's hard to really differentiate what people are talking about. So uh, we did not want to do anything like that. And I think it worked out well to our advantage. Yeah, I know what you mean. It kind of becomes quite quite samey, doesn't it? When you see these lists and you think, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, yep, it's um, like a circuit. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. And you mentioned that you're looking forward to the next one and how are you going to yep. top it? So yep. 
with being a virtual event and it being in the middle of the pandemic still, as we didn't expect it to be in 2021, but that was the way it was going. In, in oh, October. when we thought it was going to be two weeks at the end of March in 2020. <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> no, no, we were, although well, we still are, to be honest. Um, uh, so obviously you think, well, you know, like a lot of businesses were turning to, to virtual events because, the, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't that option anyway of doing the in-person the way you would necessarily want to, even if it was possible. So, mm-hmm. You said about looking to the next virtual event. Um, mm-hmm. has, have you thought about or are you enticed by the idea of making it an in-person event or are you very kind of committed to to the um, virtual side? Yeah, so I'm probably going to let the cat out of the bag here a little bit. We are meeting with one of the freelancers who helped us out with Demand 2021. I'm meeting with her, I think, this coming Thursday. We would love for it to be some sort of hybrid event where there is an in-person component to it. It could be watch parties with some sort of in-person draw. You know, maybe one of the panels is in person and then the rest mm-hmm. of the virtual event you can watch at a specific venue and get to network with some of the, the panelists or the, the attendees. So yes, we want to figure out, assuming the world hasn't burned down by then, a way to drive in-person interaction as well. Uh, but we will definitely have a virtual event uh, feel to it, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think now that businesses have embraced the virtual to go to a hybrid model, as you said, where it can be both options is a really, really good idea. And all the, you know, repurposing opportunities of if, if it's in person, but everything is being video recorded, then... Yep you know there's no geographic constraints on who can therefore benefit from the content that you're creating and as you said it's all about the audience what kind of big challenges did you face so you had 11 sessions lots of different guests different styles Mm -hmm. different panels interview solo sessions were there any hiccups along the way (laughs) yeah good question so I think we so we didn't know how many sessions that we should do for our first year because we were trying to have a really solid first year event. We didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. But once we got to probably around, I think, eight or nine sessions, we then had to make the call, you know, should there be multiple tracks in the day? Because we can't just make this the world's longest single day virtual event. And it was on a Friday. So it was already a big time ask of everyone uh, in the first place. So it was challenging for us to realize, hey, we're now at a point where we have too many sessions and we need to break it out into tracks. When we broke it out into tracks, we kind of thought of the the leader track, if you will, and the, the doer track the mid-level practitioner track. And I think that worked really well. well. We'll probably build out additional tracks, I think this coming year, but that was a challenge for us. And then I think the other challenge was just with some of the pre-recorded sessions that we did, it was very easy uh, after we had gotten a few of these underneath our belts and we got into a rhythm. But that first one was a little rocky just because we hadn't done it before and we didn't really know what worked and what didn't work. But I just chalked that up to, you know, a learning curve. And uh, we found our rhythm by probably the second or third recording of one of those sessions. Yeah, of course. With the tracks that you decided to divide the event up into, Mm -hmm. does that align with your content marketing approach in terms of do you have certain, you know, avatars or like kind of tracks of content that you Mm -hmm. are creating for? And did you kind of just align it with, with what you were already doing? 
So I'm an open book and as transparent as they come, that's what we want to work towards. I think right now we kind of uh, have two different content streams, but it's something that we've prioritized in 2022 because based on the size company uh, that we're marketing to, it's going to be different resources. So yes, that's the dream, but we are not there yet. So when uh, when we met, as I mentioned, you you guys were really kind of thinking about, okay, we're going to be creating this event. We're going to have loads of video content. We've got to try and maximize the, re- the return on all this mm-hmm. time and investment that we're making. So repurposing became a thing. What did you want to repurpose i know some of the answers to this of course but what were you <laughs> what were you looking to uh, to repurpose yep. you know what were your thoughts in terms of what we're going to have and what would we like to do with that content yep so i love giving credit where credit's due justin simon was the brains behind a lot of this and i know you're doing another episode with him too so i don't want to steal his thunder but i do want to give him a shout out i think the other thing is this what we saw in let's just say B2B SaaS, the majority of B2B companies that are doing virtual events, they publish all of the recordings the week after and that's it. And they don't do anything with it. So we did not want to make that mistake. And I think because at the time we were a three person marketing team, we needed to turn that content into as many different assets as we possibly could. So a big justification for the event was that by recording 11 sessions at this virtual event, we felt that we could turn this into about five months worth of content, which was unheard of for a team our size. And it allowed us to continue to stay in front of the audience that we had built through this event uh, all the way up into the launch of our podcast. So what kind of um, assets were you looking to create? Is this like a mainly a social media focus yep. or website? Yeah, so we know that our audience is on LinkedIn uh, yep. a whole, whole lot over the course of the day. So I think we used LinkedIn as a way to distribute a lot of this content, but we were looking at social clips that we could use in our own posts that we've been uh, publishing from the metadata account. And using the LinkedIn employee advocacy features, we also load those posts up for our employees and they're welcome to share those too. We wanted to have YouTube videos that we could add to our YouTube channel. That's a big priority for us this year and something that we're continuing to build out. And then we also wanted to build out a content hub on our site that showed all the different sessions that were had when we would be releasing them, when you clicked on an individual session, you'd see the video, you'd see not just the transcript, because I absolutely hate when people do that, but a real summary with bulleted key takeaways, the most important points, because some people want to watch the video, some people have time for it, some people just want to cheat and (laughs) look at the key takeaways, I fall into that camp, and we wanted to make sure that as we were repurposing content, that we were catering to different ways that people like to consume content. Yeah, I think it's just so important, isn't it? I fall into the camp of very rarely watching things live because I like to watch them on a faster speed. So I'm a I'm a, a times one point chip, speed to two yeah. person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's just that you know it is just the way. I think because of the line of work I am in and consume quite a bit of content, I'm used to 
consuming things at pace, just kind of like reviewing things mm. quickly and listening to things quickly. I'm not used to watching things in normal speed anymore. <laughs> like it no. seems like slow motion to me when it's yep. normal speed. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, it's providing the option, isn't it? And um, and the read as well, I, w- I would usually skim read to see if I thought it was worth the investment of watching and then make that decision to, to watch. Um, one option, did you think about having the demand event repurposed into a podcast season so like then a kind of 11 episode like downloadable podcast season I can't remember if we discussed that or if it was something you considered so I loved the idea I think Justin and I had talked about it a little bit the kicker is that we were uh, working through our podcast project for the podcast that we're going to be launching. So I think had that podcast already been up and running, that would have been something that we considered. But yeah, we're big believers of trying to stretch as much as we can out of the content that we have, as opposed to always focusing on creating new content. Yeah, I guess the thing is, you've now launched the, um, the your Demand Genu podcast, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Congrats. I guess um, if the content is still real real, you know reliably relatable to the audience on that podcast which it will be then you've always got those uh, video recordings from the event that you could slip in as an episode in the future anyway so you know at some point if you're a bit tight on content that week a little bit of an intro and then play the audio from one of those and (laughs) you'd still have an episode so it's kind of it'll be the gift that keeps on giving so you said five months worth of content have you achieved that more less what 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 do you think in terms of what you've got from this event now yeah I would say it was and I say this not because I was surprised, but just very, very happy with it. It led us all the way up to the week before that we announced our podcast. So it was the exact amount that we needed. We were dripping it out weekly and we would uh, use the list of registrants and attendees from demand uh, to distribute that on every Tuesday. So part of it was a forcing function for us that we needed to just get in a, you're going to get this on Tuesday and set expectations with them and restart email as a channel for us. So that was a way to get email going again while dripping out this content weekly and then also adding to our YouTube page too. So it worked out perfectly. And I think uh, between all the help that, that you and your team gave us and everything that Justin was doing, like I couldn't have been happier. We were, ironically enough, we were looking at some of the, uh, uh, the, performance metrics uh, on the site. We've had, I think, over 10,000 views of uh, some of the individual pages, I guess the aggregate count uh, for demand content, which is uh, insane for a company our size. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Congrats. That's fantastic. Hey, just a little break from this podcast episode to ask you a question. Would you like one single place that you can go to that provides you with everything you need to be able to implement the best practices in content repurposing for your video content, your podcast episodes, and your social media content today? To help you get more value from the content that you create, get more time back, and help you reach more people than you ever thought possible. If so, then you are going to love the Content 10X Toolkit. The toolkit is full of video tutorials, templates, checklists, swipe files, step-by-step guides, and more that shows you how to repurpose your content in the best ways possible today. 
No more Googling, no more figuring it out yourself. We provide you with everything that you need to become a content repurposing pro. If this sounds like something that would interest you, then go check out the Content 10X Toolkit at content10x.com forward slash toolkit. Okay, I'm back to this week's episode. With the planning of the upcoming, well, I won't, not upcoming quite, but this year's event, <laughs> it was a freak you out. You're just getting over the trauma of last yeah, one. Yeah, well, um, I'm meeting this week, so uh, the only yeah. way to get over it is to start planning soon. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask because, you know, for, uh, from a repurposing side, I always say you want to you want to be planning the repurposing when you're planning the core content and build it all yep. into one strategy. Are there any kind of major things that you realize, you know, like with more time on your hands than from the first one where it was quite tight, as you said, that you will do early on in the planning to even, you know, kind of get more return on investment from this next one, aside from the idea of maybe hybrid? Yep. Yeah. So I think a couple of things, I think because we had never done the virtual event before at first, I thought that recording sessions ahead of the event itself was kind of lame because I'm thinking, well, why would they record it? Wouldn't you just do that at the event itself? I'm so glad that my eyes were opened up to the benefits of pre-recording those sessions because one, when you have a little bit more lead time, then you can start to repurpose and, and promote those clips the day of the event when they're happening. And then two, you drive a better attendee experience because you can get those people who are either presenting or on the panel to participate in the chat. And you're giving your audience access to some really smart B2B marketers to ask questions that they may not always have the opportunity to do so. So I think for us, as we grow the, the size of the agenda, we will probably pre-record more of those sessions ahead of time. And then also making sure that uh, just based on all the crazy schedules that we had to coordinate that we're pre-recording them, I'd say maybe uh, uh, two-ish months out as opposed to a couple weeks out because that led to some uh, long nights and headaches and lots of coffee leading up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with you um, with regards to the pre-recording. Um, it's so useful if you do have um, people who are there or you guys there in the chat and speaking to people because I think that when people turn up and they think it is alive um and then people actually pretend that it's live as well so i'm sure we've both been to like those webinars that you get asked to go to where they're actually pretending it's live and they're kind of having oh the absolute you know, worst oh they're just the worst <laughs> aren't they i just remember them so much when i was kind of just first starting out in in digital marketing and mm -hmm. I, and it, i just used to think like just be honest and say this is a recording rather than you know, make out that you do this webinar like every hour on the hour, like live because <laughs> you don't. Um, because that doesn't make sense, does it? But actually being transparent with people and that you still get the engagement. Because the great thing, obviously, about live is the engagement aspect, isn't it? It's being able to get access to the people and maybe there's a Q&A at the end and you have that live aspect and you lose that if you don't do that and you pre-record. But to provide another opportunity to engage whilst improving the quality of the content that people are looking at, I think that is a great kind of middle, isn't it? It's kind of a middle ground, really, I suppose. For sure. Do you guys host um, like webinars and like link in LinkedIn lives or anything like that as part of your content approach? Yep. So now that we grew the team from three to seven, you're going to start to see more of that with us. And I think we're looking at 
the audience that we've built through demand and through this podcast as our growing community of, of B2B demand gen marketers. So from now until demand 2022, you'll probably start to see, I'd say somewhere in the range of three to four uh, smaller scale uh, virtual events as well. Uh, we have one coming up that I can't really share too many details like a good marketer, but it's going to be uh, a slightly smaller scale demand in April of this year. So that's the, the next big one that we're working through. Uh, I think what we're trying to do is, again, always think of our audience, this crazy new concept of what are they interested in, uh, what content would they find helpful, whether or not that leads them to metadata, because it's had a really strong impact on relationship building and them knowing and liking and trusting metadata and then having that ultimately <laughs> create pipeline at the end of the day. Yeah. And you mentioned about the focus on YouTube that you guys are going to mm -hmm. be doing a lot more on YouTube. Is that because you find that search maybe even more so than social is, is the way that a lot of people are actually finding you from new? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. And I, I won't pretend like I know the answer, but I'll tell you what my my bet is that we're trying to make in 2022. I think how people and where people go to consume information to learn has changed. I don't think that they're always going to, you know, Google search anymore or really any search engine. I think they're going to podcasts. I think they're going to social. I think they're going to YouTube. People are visual learners. They want to watch videos. And I think we're just trying to um, go where our buyers are today because, and I would have never said this, but I think SEO as we know it has changed uh, pretty significantly. And we're not trying to place our bet on traditional SEO. We're trying to place a big bet on YouTube and how people are using it as a search engine. Yeah. And are you um, also embarking or already involved in YouTube um, ads like mid-roll? That's one of the, that's one of the big yeah. bets that we're going to be making this year. So yeah, we, uh, it's a big priority for us and we're, uh, we're just starting those conversations now, but um, I think uh, our competitors aren't really doing this. So there's an opportunity in itself. And I think most B2B companies are not doing this and those that are, aren't doing it well. There's a few that I've come across that do it really, really well. And I think there's a first mover advantage that we're trying to hopefully take advantage of here. <laughs> yeah, there must be some really specific channels that you know your mm -hmm. ideal customers in whichever kind of tranche they're in. There must be some really specific like software yep. channels that they look at and things like that. So it's a really big opportunity, isn't it? And I don't think it's done as well in the B2B space as it could be actually. So Totally. Yeah. There's a, a company called... Uh, I think it's Lucia or Lusha. Uh, they're like a B2B contact database. Uh, I'm sure their product marketers would kill me if they heard me use that as a description. They have unbelievable marketing and amazing YouTube pre-roll ads. So we're looking to do something similar like that. Yeah, I could imagine you guys doing an awesome job with that. So yeah, you should. <laughs> um, now, I couldn't have you on the show. We've, we've briefly mentioned it, but without congratulating you on like the latest podcast launch as well, because it's awesome to see like the Demand Gen U podcast out there. Um, how is that going? Is it all going well? Yeah, it's been awesome so far. Uh, we have made it past the, uh, what's the graveyard? Usually a podcast, like eight episodes. So Without giving away too much, we've recorded a bunch ahead of time. 
I think for us, it's been awesome to launch that and just get out there weekly with helpful content. I think the initial feedback that we've gotten from listeners has been really great. There's been some constructive things that we need to work on too, but we've been very, very happy with the um, initial stats that we're seeing and how they're trending uh, the first few episodes in. And then for us, I think like we uh, approached demand, many companies, many B2B companies that do podcasts think that, hey, we record the episode and that's it. No, it's not. It's trying to distribute and, and repurpose every single shorter consumable piece of content from each episode. So we're running the same exact playbook that we ran at demand with the podcast. And this is going to be the engine for all of our content in 2022. Yeah. Just what's so great about an episodic um, piece of like long form, especially video content, like a video podcast is it just sits right up there at the top of the pyramid, doesn't it? And then everything else can be created. And because you go in that episodic route, you kind of, you know that it is fueling constant multi-channel, multi-platform, multi-format content. So it's good. (laughs) Yep. No, we love it. Yeah. It's the gift (laughs) that keeps on giving. So what, if, if you could give one parting piece of advice to somebody who's perhaps very inspired by this conversation and thinking about doing some kind of virtual event, what would you say would be your kind of one big piece of advice for embarking on a first virtual event? I would say start with the content and the topics first and think about what's the content that you want to create and don't let whether or not you think you are smart enough or have the chops to do it cloud your thinking, but start with content first and then figure out from there, okay, these are the topics that we can create content for that support our content strategy and then go figure out who the speaker should be because if you like I've done a couple of these and I'm doing a few in the next two months. I was asked to be a speaker at an event and they say, Hey, what do you want to present on? It's like, well, I could present anything and that's not going to support one, your agenda or two, your content strategy. So in order to make the event work for you, be prescriptive on what you think those topics should be so that you can continue to get as much as you possibly can out of the content. Yeah. hundred percent agree. It's, it's always a bit surprising when, you're kind of just asked and then given free reign to speak about anything <laughs> because it's yeah. like how disjointed I found that with in-person events I've spoken at too where I, I'm not told who's speaking before me or who's speaking after me and you know if I knew yep. I'd bring more context in so I'd refer back to like previous talks and stuff like that and it's it's just all everything's in silo rather rather than actually bringing together what you did which is just more of an experience where it's a a customer and audience experience and you've thought about that and it's not the big names even though you did get big you know good names but that wasn't the focus was it It was the like you said the topic and the audience and stuff so yeah brilliant and they they were actually (laughs) excited too without I mean I'm going to give a little bit away here the some of the bigger names of people that we had were excited about the the topics that we were having them you know, talk about because it wasn't the same old recycle agenda that they had seen before. And they actually had to do a little bit of thinking and prep time of, Hey, what am I going to say here? Whereas, you know, if you do the traditional, find the speakers, let them do whatever they want. A lot of times you're just getting a, a rehashed version of a presentation that they've already given elsewhere. And it's not unique to your company uh, or your brand. No. And it's just not interesting to the audience to hear the same old thing and they'll soon tune out again yeah so 
um no it's fantastic advice well mark thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been a fantastic conversation lots of great tips and advice there as well um where where would you like people to connect with you um i assume linkedin i guess but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say yeah. linkedin and then follow uh the metadata company page too because we are not doing social i think the same way that a lot of other b2b companies do we're we use Gong, uh, Chili Piper, and Drift as our North Star for a lot of our content and social. So we're trying to put our own spin on it. And I think we're getting some really good traction here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, follow your social and uh, yeah, check out what you're doing because I think you're really doing something different in the space and it's interesting and exciting to watch. So congrats. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for Thank having you. me, Amy. This was Thanks awesome. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that discussion and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the Content 10X podcast, then why not hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice so that you can get updated when new episodes are released. And I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave a review as well. That really makes a difference for the podcast. Also, please do get a copy of my book, Content 10X, More Content, Less Time, Maximum Results. It is the ultimate guide to repurposing every type of content and it's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback and also in audiobook as well and you can head to content10x.com forward slash book to find all the other places that you can get a copy of my book and if you would like us to do your content repurposing for you then we offer a fully end-to-end done-for-you content repurposing service this is for podcasters and video content creators we have our podcast 10x video 10x and also our specific LinkedIn 10x service helping you to become the leading authority in your industry on LinkedIn. You can find out so much more about our services on our website and also please do give me a follow on the social media platforms. I share lots and lots of tips and advice on social media about content repurposing. I'm at content10x on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and if you try content10x.com forward slash LinkedIn you'll find my LinkedIn profile over there as well. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I'll catch you in the next one.